Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome back to another episode of Merged Worlds, my Dungeons & Dragons story adventure series thing. I haven't said that in a while. Uh, tonight will be the, temporarily, <laughs> final episode of this storyline. Uh, the next episode, two weeks from now, we will be going back into the Artists and Friends storyline, um, which... I'm very excited to get to. Uh, I got some been waiting to throw that section at you guys for a while. <clears throat> got a lot planned for it. Uh, but today we're going to finish up the current Seraph storyline <clears throat> and move them into what's coming next. So let's start with there. Hopefully you're all having a good day. Appreciate you coming by and giving me the opportunity to once again tell my tale. Um, let's see. Uh, this is episode 96. My goodness, four episodes away from a hundred. That's a lot of stuff. An average of two hours. I've got, this time I'm like 260 or 280 hours of story time, right? I guess if we cut out intros, outros, and recaps and stuff, it'd be considerably less. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. We're going to uh, continue with where we left off last time. Do a brief recap and then get into that. Oh, real quick, what's that? Oh, text. Um, so, start off by saying, of course, I've got most every of the past episodes up on all the podcast sites. I finally got everything up and fixed there. Last episode is the only one, and that one should be up tomorrow. And then tonight's episode should be up by Friday at the very latest. I can't load more than one a day. If I do, it puts them out of order for some reason. I don't understand it. <laughs> so, no matter what, what order I put them, I download them. It'll always put them in the wrong order. It's just how it's always worked out. So, uh, if you're following along on the uh, audios or on iTunes, Spotify, uh, what else was there? There's uh, Amazon podcasts and such. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to get those up and caught up as well. If you have an account like that and you're not already doing it, it'd be awesome if you'd consider giving us a follow over there. Uh, maybe throw some stars or likes or feedback or whatever it is on the podcast Nature of Your Choice. But here on YouTube, it would be cool if you would mind clicking that like button. Uh, maybe subscribing to the channel as well. Alright, so um, I don't think episode today will be exceptionally long. Should fit within an hour or so. Uh, I'm not trying to drag it on. Oop, the visuals got fuzzy there for a moment. Come on, focus. Focus to me. There we go. Um, so... Where we left off, um, Seraph and his friends, boy, that, that got fuzzy as hell, didn't it? There we go. The lighting in here, the light bulb above my head went out, if you're watching on the videos. So, lighting's a little off and the camera's not sure what to do about it. And I'm out of spare light bulbs, so I gotta go get some tomorrow. Um, where we left off, Seraph, Dina, Deacon, and Mugen, um, were trying to escape the city, uh, because... They, it became aware to them that the Oromanians uh, were there searching for them. They were saved and... Oh, hello, Ms. Ashley. They were saved and joined by a drow mage necromancer named Vincentius, who they don't know is the son of Nilat Firemoon and Deacon's cousin. Uh, he gave only his first name, Vincentius, and gave them a story that the 
word had gotten to him through the drow community north of Serenity, that's allied with Serenity, looking for Seraph and his friends and to offer them assistance. Once he says he made, was made aware that they were in the city, he set out to help them. And in fact, did save them from an attack of Oromanian elites. Uh, he then offers to help them get out of the city through a secret old goblin tunnel system that hasn't been used in a very long time because of some unknown danger down there. He makes arrangements with the goblins to get them access and agrees to go with them to help them get through that tunnel. The tunnel will lead them east many miles and bring them up near the town of Bannerhelm, which is the last town before they enter into the mountain range which lies to the east of the city that they're in. Um, the mountain range is overwhelmingly dangerous with only one real pass through it. There's old trails and stuff and things that are in there, but no one's ever successfully mapped any of those out. It's just the, the one main trail that the caravans take. And they feel that at this point, east is their best chance to escape Oromon. Because they came from the west, and that's where Oromon is. North is the swamp they don't want to go back into. And then south, somewhere, is the Central Sea, which their concern, of course, is that Oromon is uh, a naval city as well, or uh, uh, has a navy. So they could have ships down there watching for them. So they're continuing further away from Serendi, although their main goal is to one day, hopefully, try to get back home. So they proceed through that tunnel. Uh, they run into several uh, instances of danger, which uh, they work together to get through. Uh, Vincentius acclimating himself to the group and showing himself to be a trusted ally and friend helps them survive. And where we last left off, they finally had reached the exit of the tunnel uh, that was very close to the town of Bannerhelm. And that's where we're going to be starting off today. Uh, drink break. Okay. A lot of reading today. I wrote a lot over the last few days. And I always feel bad because the more pages of written dialogue and story I have, the quicker it goes through. Um, it just, reading doesn't, it takes much longer to write than it does to actually read. You may not have known that. There you go, you learned some. <laughs> but it just does so happen to, ha to be that way. So hopefully uh, this episode's not too short and you find it enjoyable uh, before next episode where we'll be jumping back into the artist storyline. So I'll begin, of course, as normal, with a little bit of reading. The small city of Bannerhelm was not much more than a large village. It experienced some growth since the merge as the first and last place for supplies when traveling through the Careless Mountains. So that mountain range is known as the Carolist Mountains. K-H-A-R, not C-A-R-O-L. Uh, Carolist Mountains. So caravans go through the mountains, and I've already mentioned that on the far other side, eastern side of it, there's an elven nation that trades with the Nemerilla where they are now. Um, so for caravans going into the mountains towards the elves... Bannerhelm is the last stop, the last rest stop, right, before you get into where there's nothing, nowhere to, to help you. Uh, and from coming from the el elven side, they would be the first thing that you come through. So it's, it's a very important location. So that town has received, in the last 15, 20 years, um, boomed a bit, if you will, and grown. Now, 
as I mentioned, of course, when first talking about this area, it was several years of war between the different nations that found themselves thrust together before they came to an alliance and peace and such. So of that 20 years, the first few years wasn't like that. Once they finally got settled down, started working on trade and reaching out to the other things, the boom and the traveling and the caravans has probably been closer to the last 10 to 12 years. But that's still enough time to see some substantial growth in the town of Bannerhelm. Now, the highway that was going through the mountains was named Gambler's Pass. Since traveling, it was basically gambling with your own life. The mountains were notorious for being home to giants, trolls, orcs, and goblins, as well as some rarer and even more dangerous creatures. So, to kind of give an example, things, you know, wyverns, for example, might be something. No, no dragons, per se, have been sighted in the area, but wyverns and things of that nature, uh, maybe even chimeras, things to deal with. The average travel time through the mountains was five days for most caravans, and one went each direction monthly. So one went from here to the elves, and usually two weeks later one would be coming from the elves. So um, back and forth, back and forth. The caravans were large and heavily protected and manned, so they were rarely attacked. Smaller groups, or individuals though, almost never survived the trip alone. While the caravans offered protection, it also brought with it too much attention. So Seraph and his friends had decided to try to travel it alone. So, you know, whatever those things in there, whether they're giants or goblins or whatever, they don't want to mess with a caravan that's guarded by a hundred, you know, experienced warriors. I've already stressed how um, well-trained and powerful the, the guard are, the city guard in Namarilla. So you can imagine that they would send the same type of people to guard their caravans. Um, and while there's goblins and orcs and stuff in the mountains that are not allies, there are very likely large goblins and such in the protection side or responsible for the uh, uh, caravans. Okay. Now, Bannerhelm housed several fine inns, as well as general stores, smiths, and craftsmen of all sorts. Now, Seraph and his friends had ga uh, planned to gather their supplies quickly through Vincentius's contact and leave without being noticed. Because remember, part of Vincentius is like, hey, I'm going to get you there, and I have a contact there that'll help you with the supplies you'll need to get the rest of the way. Because they've been traveling now for several days underground. They used up a chunk of the resources that they, the supplies they already had with them. So they're going to need to refresh. Now, Vincentius himself had never actually been to Bannerhelm. And much like Seraph, was also concerned that his appearance would be too noticeable to go into town to meet his... Uh, too noticeable, because he's a drow elf, right? Still not something you see every day walking around. So because of that, it was determined that Deacon would go into town to meet the contact himself all alone. The contact's name was a man named Droge. Uh, so... Deacon, being just a regular human dude, if anything, looks maybe a little on the noble side. You know, he is a prince and uh, got that princely chin and stuff like that. Um, he's more likely to go to be able to go into town without being noticed. Seraph, Mugen, Vincentius, all of them are going to stand out. Now, very likely Dina could as well, but with, you know, Oramon searching for her, probably not going to let her go in with just Deacon for safety reasons, you know what I mean? So, Deacon's going to go in by himself. Uh, let's see, Do Vincentius gave Deacon a token that Droge would recognize. He said, basically, give this to him, and he'll know you're here on my behalf. I'd already sent, he'd already sent word out that they were going to need supplies, 
and for a trip through the mountains and just some of the basic general stuff. He didn't describe anyone, so this trinket or token that he would give the droge would let him know that it's Vincentius that sent him. Deacon made his way into town midday when there were many people on the streets. He knew that Droge had a leather-working shop, and it wouldn't take very long to find. You can imagine that in a town like this. So you stop, hey, I'm looking for leather workers. Oh, the craftsmen are over there. Have you ever heard of this one? Yeah, it's that way down the street. So getting directions is pretty easy. Lots of people walking around, blending into the crowd as much as possible. The skinned wyvern was tucked in with several other little shops. So the skinned wyvern is the name of the leather shop. Uh, upon finding it, he stepped in. Oh, stepping inside, Deacon was awash with the smells of leathers and oils. So stepping in, there'd be a lot of finished leather goods, probably bolts of leather, much like my bolts of cloth. I don't know if it's called bolts of leather. Don't hold me to that, but I'm going to go with it since it's bolts of cloth. Bolts of leather, cuts of leather, uh, leather working supplies, and of course all the different oils and stuff that you put on the leather so that they wouldn't go bad, dry, crack, things of that nature. I don't know if you've ever been in a leather working shop. I've been in many of them in my life, and they have a very, very distinctive smell. Much like going into a place that sells like just leather goods, like I, there's I'm where I live in uh, eastern Tennessee. There's an area called Sevierville Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg. Several towns all crammed together, big tourist trap, but it's a very craftsman's kind of area. There are a lot of leather working shops, and you walk into those things, and the smell is strong, but it's good. Like I I, I always enjoyed that the smell of of well oiled leather. <laughs> Boy. Don't clip that and put it anywhere, if you wouldn't mind. But, uh, yeah, so, so it's definitely a distinctive smell going inside. Greetings, young man, came a cheerful voice from the corner. Deacon saw an older gentleman sitting at a desk, sewing several pieces of leather together. How can I help you? the man asked. He was human and looked around 60 years of age, with short, graying hair. Uh, yes, sir, replied Deacon. I'm looking to gather supplies, some supplies for a journey and was directed to speak with you. Deacon stepped to the man and held out the trinket he'd been given, a silver pin in the shape of a rune that Deacon did not recognize. Droge's face grew more serious. The drow, he asked, and Deacon nodded. I've been expecting you, Droge says. He sent me a list and I have most everything ready. With a wave, he motioned for Deacon to follow him through the door to the back area of the shop. In the back room, next to all the leathers, were several backpacks of gear and supplies. Everything you asked for is in here except for the food. Fanny will get that for you over at the Buck and Doe. Just tell her I sent you for them. She's expecting you. Droge waited while Deacon looked through the gear, inspecting it. Seeing everything that he needed, he began gathering it all up. Droge grabbed some of the bags and led Deacon out through another back door. Tied nearby was a mule and the two men began loading the bags on top of her. Just let her loose when you're done with her. She knows her way home. Deacon thanked the man for his help. No thanks needed, son, replied Droge. Just be sure to tell the drow we're even. I don't expect to hear from him again. The man's voice, the tone and such, and the look he gave him, Deacon had to ask, is there a problem? Droge came around the mule to stand before Deacon. Droge was a full head shorter than Deacon, but Deacon recognized the movements of a seasoned warrior. Let me give you a piece of advice, son, said Droge. Finish your dealings with him as soon as you can. Deacon's face grew concerned. 
Are we in danger of betrayal, sir? Droge spit on the ground. No, he'll keep his word. Never known him to break a deal. Let's just say that whatever you're promised might not end up being what you actually thought it was. With a nod, Droge walked back into the shop, closing the door behind him. Deacon stood there a moment, pondering the man's words. With a growing concern, he gathered up the mule's reins and headed towards the buck and doe. So a very kind of cryptic warning. It's like, no, I'm not saying he's going to back out of any deal agreement you have, but what you think you're going to get may not be what you thought it was going to be. Kind of one of those, be careful what you ask for. You know what I mean? Something along those lines. It's kind of the, the feeling that Droge has given to um, Deacon at this point. Deacon concerned. Because up until this point, while there's a little bit nervousness from Vincentius, he's done nothing at all that would cause them to be suspicious. In fact, he's helped save their lives on multiple situations. So um, this is coming as a bit of a surprise to him at this point. Now, Fanny Adams was the owner, manager, and cook of the Buck and Doe Inn. It was Bannerhelm's largest inn and was well-stocked with travelers. With the next caravan heading east in a week, people had already begun to gather in town. Fanny herself was a large, jovial woman who was beloved by the locals and well-known to be quite capable of knocking heads together if someone brought trouble into her inn. Deacon paid a young man two coppers to keep an eye on the mule while he went inside. Even this early in the day, the bar was full. The smell of hickory-smoked pork and fresh ale made Deacon's stomach growl. Can I imagine they've been living off dried goods, usually hardtack, uh, which common traveling goods are going to be dried meats, salted meats, um, and you know dried cheeses. Cheeses last a lot longer back then; didn't require refrigeration. They're much drier, and uh, breads the same way. Hardtack is going to be a bread that. Uh, while hard and stiff, doesn't really lean to mold. It's going to last a long time. Uh, these are some of the real basic supplies that you would pack because they don't take up a lot of space, but would feed you for a fair amount of time. Catching a barmaid's attention, he asked for Fanny. The barmaid asked him to wait while she fetched her. Looking around the tavern, Deacon saw the crowd was mostly humans with a smattering of elves and goblins mixed in. The races seemed to mingle freely without any issues. Because again, I've, I've, I've tried to very much put that out there. At this point, there's not what you'd expect. Uh, a lot of times you're like, oh, these races are thrown together. There's all that racial tension. They've worked it out in this area. They, everyone has found it is overwhelmingly beneficial to everyone to work together. Um, and while I'm going to say that there may not be a few people that have a hard time letting go of old grudges, the vast majority of people are welcoming to the businesses uh, of the different races. So there's not a lot of trouble in that, in that regard, if you will. Fanny came out from the back and right up to Deacon confidently. She was just as tall as he, but even broader. Now, I want to explain that Fanny, when I'm describing her as a large woman, I mean that in every sense of the word. She's very tall, very uh, very broad of shoulder. Uh, looking at her, you'd say, okay, this woman has gained a fair amount of weight. She's a very jovial person, but still has the muscle tone of someone who probably was a warrior at some point 
uh, younger in her life. So she's got the strength and overall size to knock some heads together, as I mentioned earlier, should that situation come to be. Um, very uh, loud and boisterous kind of person. Elaine says you are asking for me, she asked the young man. Yes, milady, he replied. I was sent by Droge to pick up some supplies. Ah, I was wondering when you'd get here. And no, milady's here, lad. I work for a living. With a laugh, she led him back into the kitchen. There were two young women inside, and Fanny had them begin gathering up the needed supplies. She then excused herself to go down into the cellar for a few more things. So, Droge got together everything that wouldn't go bad. Fanny's providing them the foods, things of that nature. She's probably, probably already got water. That wasn't really going to go bad in canteens or bottles or skins that they already had. Uh, Droge would have been very capable of getting that. But anything like the foods we mentioned earlier, they're going to want to give them as fresh a stuff as possible, especially if they're going over a long-term journey. I mentioned that the caravans average five days through, but that's on a basically relatively straight road directly through the mountains. These uh, heroes are, of ours are not going to be taking such a direct route, and there's not going to be a whole lot of opportunity to get supplies in the mountains, although they do know, from what they've been told, that there's a fair amount of water. Uh, the mountains are relatively high, and it's very peaks in some areas. It gets quite cold. So water is something that they will have an opportunity for, but not a lot of things growing up in the mountains. Uh, they're very jagged, sharp, uh, rocky mountains. So not big tree-covered mountains. I want to make sure I clarify that. Uh, let's see here. Deacon waited patiently in silence, watching the women work. Just then, another young woman came in through the door, through another door. She was in her twenties and stunningly beautiful. She saw Deacon, with a big smile, walked over to him. Well, hello you, she said. I've never seen you around here before. That's a face I'd never forget. Deacon blushed. I'm just passing through, ma'am. I won't be in town long. The young woman looked heartbroken. That's such a shame. I would have loved to get to know you better. Are you alone or are you here with friends? Before Deacon could reply, Fanny's voice came booming from behind them. Salia, get your dirty fingers off my customers and get out there and serve some drinks, damn it, girl. Salia gave Fanny an angry look and stormed out of the kitchen. The rest of you get out there and help her, Fanny said. The other girls quickly exited the kitchen as well. Stepping over to Deacon, she asked, Still got your purse, boy? Smiling, Deacon pulled back his cloak, showing his other hand wrapped tightly around it. Never let go for a second, he said with a smile. Ha ha! laughed Fanny, smacking the man's shoulder. Good to see a young man thinking with the right head for once. After a few moments, she had all the supplies gathered, putting the rest of it together herself. After she had everything gathered and checked over it and made sure that what she was supposed to get was there, and he was watching, he saw plenty of food and stuff. She may even ask, hey, you want some of this? You want any cheese? You want this? And Yeah, sure, that'll be fine. Everything's already been paid for by this point. Droge made sure of that ahead of time. So again, after a few moments, she had everything, all the supplies put together. Turning, she walked right up to Deacon, her face taking on a very serious expression. I like you, lad, so I'm going to ask you an important question. This is way too much for one person. By any chance, are you traveling with a young woman? Maybe a man with long white hair? 
Deacon did his best to keep his expression blank, but before he could speak, Fanny squinted her eyes and nodded. Aye, she said. I thought so. You'd be best to get out of town quickly. There have been men through here asking about you all. Uh, offered quite a reward for information about you. Without confirming her assumption, Deacon asked, And a reward doesn't interest you? Nah, waved Fanny. I do well enough on my own, and I don't sell people out, especially to men like them. Deacon's brow raised, raised an interest of her words, so she continued. Talk to me like I was nothing, they did. Like I was no more than a pet, not being a man and all. Only cared about what the men in my bar had to say. In my own establishment, to boot. I made it quite clear what they could do with their reward. Told them to get the hell out. Deacon couldn't help but smile. Fanny was quite the character. While the news that Ormond had men in the area was not a surprise, it was still troublesome. Plus, if Fanny had been able to recognize him, someone else might have been able to do so as well. The sooner they were gone from this place, the better. So just what little she was able to pick up from Deacon, she's like, okay, obviously you, this is not just for you. And you look a little bit uh, too uh, well-bred to be in here kind of thing. She, she put it together pretty quickly. And they know it has to be Ormond searching for him, right? And the fact that they specifically asked about Seraph and he and uh, Dina, while not mentioning anything about um, Mr. or, 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 or uh, Mugen, right? Because Mugen's still a wild card. Uh, very few of the people of the Ormanians who have come across Mugen have lived long enough to report Mugen's there. Oramon's aware of Seraph. They know Seraph. So at times they've been chasing Seraph to try to get to her. So they know Seraph has Dina. And they know that Deacon is with them. These are, this, these are not surprises. Mugen is still a bit of a, uh, uh, a, bit of a uh, thorn in the side there. Now, they don't really have much to go with on him. So gathering up the, the goods and stuff that Fanny gave him, taking her advice, she, he kind of went out a back door, and she had sent, uh, she herself had gone around and got the young man who had the mule, brought him around and paid the coins to the kid. Kid goes running off, and Deacon bids Fanny a farewell, decides it's you know time to get out of town. He has everything they needed. Originally, he was going to try to spend some more time, see if he could learn more about the mountains, any more maps, anything, information of that way, but learning that Oramon had people already here in Bannerhelm he feels it's best to go ahead and get back to his friends. So Deacon took a different way out of town. And once he was confident he wasn't being followed, he made his way back to his friends. They waited for him at the entrance of the tunnel they'd used to reach the area. Deacon smiled to see the relief on their faces that he had safely returned. So he gets back, he says, here's all of the stuff. Of course, they start unloading the mule. It's all backpacks and stuff that they're meant to carry. They're not taking the mule with them in the mountains. And literally, once they have everything off the mule, don't give it a smack on the butt, it immediately turns and starts heading back to town. The mule has clearly been used in this way before and knows its way back home, much to what Droge says to Deacon to begin with. Deacon, of course, tells them everything that he saw and heard in town. Um, what little information he got. Most importantly, the fact that Ormond already had people in the area looking for them. Um, the one thing he does leave out, though, of course, is Droge's warning. He plans on giving Seraph that information when he has an opportunity to speak to him alone. But they gather up all their packs and get everything ready to go. Uh, they go through the gear, make sure it has everything they need. 
and they prepare themselves to travel. Now, uh, Mugen, at this point, pretty healed up. There's just a tiny bit of stiffness in him. Uh, he's pretty much ready to go. He's no longer dealing with any of the problems of fatigue. Uh, Vincentius is actually quite impressed uh, with how rugged and quickly the boy heals. Um, he was genuinely surprised, even though you know the, some of the medicine he provided was supposed to help. Mugen made an exceptionally fast recovery. Now, nowhere near as quickly as Seraph would, of course, who has just a straight-up natural regeneration ability. Um, but Mugen comes from very hardy stock. Now, Vincentius had explained to them that there were many different trails up and through the mountains, though none of them were ever fully mapped. Most of them were used by the different denizens that lived within the mountains themselves. Um, anybody who's tried to take those paths either didn't get very far, got lost, or just never came back at all. Um, and they're so small, narrow, that there's really no way to send any substantial force up in there to try to settle them or quell any type of dangers. So the cities uh, in Bannerhelm in the area have gone to great lengths to secure the actual Gambler's Pass itself. Um, but outside of that, the mountains are left pretty much to themselves. Vincentius had offered to take them to, uh, to one of the paths that he believed might be one of their uh, best uh, chances to get all the way through the mountains. What little he'd been ever uh, able to learn, he'd heard rumors that this pass went all the way through um, from one side of the range to the other. Uh, though that he, what he'd heard, there was great danger on it, though he couldn't give them any specifics. Or if he could, chose not to. That pass was north of Bannerhelm by about a half day's journey. So now they had the supplies, they begin heading in that direction. Vincentius taking them to the edge of that, uh, to the beginning of that trail. Now, their plan is to travel, get to the base of the mountains. And the mountains, I want to say, are clearly Merge Worlds placed, right? Like it's a nice grassy plain, and then bam, mountain. Like it's sudden mountain. It's not a, a incline where the land starts moving its way up and then gets sharper and sharper like you would normally find with many mountain ranges. It's literally relatively flat ground, maybe a little bit of hills, and then bam, mountains. Um, clearly not mountains that were originally in that area when uh, the pre the merge, if you would. So another good example of, of two completely different biomes, if you will, being uh, crushed together uh, to create a new merge one. Uh, let me see. So they plan on getting to the base of this trail that's supposed to lead them up to the mountains. They're going to make camp at the base of it for the evening and then start out early the next morning. Um, so that way they have the whole day to get up into the mountains, uh, have as much sunlight as possible. Traveling in the mountains is just going to be more dangerous, of course, uh, in the dark, because they have Deacon and they have Dino with them. Right? They have no infravision, and traveling through areas like this with open flamed torches would be basically just lighting a beacon to anything dangerous in the mountains saying, here we are. So they're going to have to try to find as many places to bed down for the night, traveling at night, and they're going to try not to have to use a fire. So if they're going to cook anything, they're going to need to do it during the day in, in as much as they can hide or limit the amount of smoke and light that it produces. Uh, let's see. So as they're traveling north, they do pass by several farms and stuff. There's land that's settled in the area around Bannerhelm. Uh, so they pass that. They also pass by um, 
a couple mines in the area. Uh, these are mostly going to be your open kind of strip mines kind of thing. It's not the mine that goes into a mountain. Um, Vincentius does tell them that the area itself is very heavy with coal, iron, and limestone. Three products that uh, are very useful and commonly used in the area. Iron specifically. Uh, so most of the mining is done there. Uh, it is well known that the mountains themselves are rich with different types of ores and materials. Uh, but there has yet been a way to find that they can safely and successfully mine those materials uh, without you know, being killed, slaughtered, attacked, all that kind of stuff. So it's been unsafe to mine them. Um, so, and of course, as they're traveling, they're always keeping their eye out for little things. You know, catch an animal, more meat, eat, eat. Anytime they can get food or water that's not in their supplies that they can eat on the go, save supplies, help them last longer. They have enough food that they should be able to spend two weeks in the mountains before they would have to seriously start looking for replacement or additionals. Uh, and there's the chance they may come across opportunities to uh, add to their stores as they travel through. Water being the one thing they're not as concerned with, they are still each carrying multiple different uh, water bottles or flasks uh, so that they have a fair amount of water on them just in case. Now it's, it's at this time during this journey that Seraph takes the initiative to go ahead and say something he'd been thinking about for a while. And he straight up asks Vincentius if he would like to continue traveling with them through the mountains. He said, definitely, I mean, you, you would be overwhelmingly helpful to have with us. You've already shown yourself to be uh, more than capable. Um, and, and allies are very rare and few between at this point in our lives. Uh, luckily, they just had Red and Ward recently, but now they're gone. It's, it's not easy for them to find people that they can truly trust way out here when there's so much things like rewards and such on their head. Ormon definitely offering to pay high for information on their location. Um, so, you know, Seraph openly invites them to continue with them if he would like to. Uh, to which Dina very quickly echoes the sentiment. Deacon, although concerned, stays silent. Much to Deacon's relief, Vincentius declines, politely. So my friends, well, I, I definitely appreciate that. And I have to say that it's tempting, very much so. I've enjoyed my time with you, and uh, I feel like, you know, learning more about you and, and all of that would only benefit all of us, I'm sure, but um, unfortunately there are some other things that I have to deal with. Um, he says that it's time for him to leave Numeria as well, although he won't be going the same direction that they are. Oh, guessing he didn't ask Deacon about that first. No, he didn't. No, he did not, Miss Ashley. Just kind of threw it out there. Vincentius declines and says, Unfortunately, I will be leaving Nemeria, though unfortunately I won't be able to go with you. He just kind of stops for a minute and says, There are still things that he must deal with in order to deal with those responsible for his father's murder. And as so, he has other things he needs to attend to to continue on that path. Because he did mention earlier, for the record, I went back and read my own notes to be sure, but yes, he did mention in the past the reason he left the Underdark originally, Drow society, as he was uh, because of the death of his, uh, the murder of his father. And that was very much a big part of what he was doing on the surface. Um, 
and so they're aware of that. So when he says, "Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, there's still things I have to do to bring those people responsible for my father's murder to justice," I can understand that. You know, here's a guy who's driven from his home, clearly a nice guy, and some bastards murdered his father. I can understand how revenge and, and the seeking out justice for that type of thing, uh, understandable. They can very easily see themselves in their shoes. But he does say he's done. He says, that, but at this time, as I said, I, I will be leaving Numeria, very likely going south. And he just kind of looks at them and smiles. He says that he's done everything he needs to do here. But that his path takes him away from Seraph. Although he does put his hand on Seraph's shoulder and say, I'm sure that we'll see each other again, my friend. He says, I believe that fate has brought us together for a reason. Sarah smiles and looks back at him and says, well, he looks forward to the day, or looks forward to that day, and Vincentius will always be welcome with them. So, very pleasant partings, right? Vincentius is like, but don't worry. Fate brought us together. I have no doubt we will totally see each other again. Sarah smiles and says, I look forward to that day. Imagine Vincentius says, like, no, no, you really shouldn't look forward to that day. He doesn't say that, but in the back of his mind, you know that's what's going on. He's like, no, you're not going to like that. Through those several hours of travel, they finally make it to the, literally, the base of the mountains and the, tr the path, the mountain's path that Vincentius told them about. The path itself literally goes right up into the mountains, and it's slightly steep, but not impossible to walk. It's very twisty and turny, and the mountains themselves are very jagged and broken. So the path, at times, you can't even see it because it's in behind rocks, so you're like almost walking through a narrow cut in the rock, like, a, like a, probably worn away by a river or water at some point in the past. And that's what leads up into the mountains. And the mountains are very large. Again, they, they would have been able to see them for a long time had they not been underground traveling to get here. So there's a, a, the mountains are huge. So they know it's going to be quite a journey getting through them. But fortunately, the good friend Vincentius has provided them with all of the things they'll need to survive the trip. So they reach the base of the mountains. They also find there a small creek, a small uh, bit of water. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A natural uh, uh, spring. So they decide to make camp uh, very close to the base of the mountains uh, to rest for the evening so they can start out in the morning, refill their water skins, get ready to go. So they make camp to prepare for their last evening together. Uh, sorry, thirsty. Delicious. About that time. It was the middle of the night when Seraph was awoken by Deacon's shout and the blast of magic that followed behind it. Seraph was armed and on his feet in an instant, with Dina and Mugen quickly behind him. Now I say that. Deacon, I'm sorry, Dina and Mugen quickly behind him. Let me rephrase that. Dina and Mugen. Mugen, Deacon, Seraph, all trained. First signs, grab their weapon up on their feet, ready to go. Dina is at that point. She has been, with the amount of danger to her specifically, and with the training she's been receiving for months at this point, Dina is already becoming a, a well-experienced combatant, right? 
She's already had to fight stuff most people never would ever have to in their life. All the stuff in the swamp and things of that nature. And she's being trained by three different people who all have different yet equally phenomenal skills. Uh, so this group has become a very well tight unit, if you will. They know what to do to fight with each other. They've practiced and sparred, hey, if you're fighting by Deacon, this is what you need to be doing to best let him fight with you and use his abilities. You're fighting with Mugen, that's completely different. He's a short little dude with a big hammer. What you have to do to be the best uh, partner to him in combat is this, and that type of thing. So they're going to teach her how best to fight with them. Because Deacon and Seraph have been training that way for most of their lives at this point. Since they became friends as kids, they have practiced and trained and fought together, learning the best way to use each other's strengths and abilities to help acclimate and make, and make themselves be even better. Um, Mugen, being a trained warrior as well, slipped right into that, and they had to start learning to adjust to fighting with Mugen in their group, but it wasn't very hard. Mugen's fighting style is very interesting. It's get under their feet, and they try to figure out how to get you. It's uh, Mugen is quick and short. He's a little dude. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to that melee combat, he definitely brings in an interesting aspect to it. Dina, as well, has the same kind of problem. Her She's not overwhelmingly strength. She's probably in better shape now than she has been her whole life with all the traveling and walking and practicing she is. But she hasn't had the years of experience of that. So for being in muscular, warrior-like shape, she's going to be probably the least behind at this point, although she's drastically improved. She's fighting with it. She has her elven sword and dagger, and that's how she normally fights, is sword and dagger at this point. Uh, she does not use a shield. Um, but in many situations, her job is to kind of help hold the line, or if anything, step back and kind of have their backs. So, um, not from a, hey, you're not capable, but hey, this is the best way you can help us in this situation. If one of us falls or gets hurt or something, you being able to step in and immediately filling that hole in the line, if you will, uh, is overwhelmingly important. So, when they hear this sound, Deacon crying out danger in the middle of the night and a spell erupting, all three of them are on their feet, armed in just seconds, ready to go. Seraph the quickest, because he's Seraph, but the other two very quickly, and even Dina, armed and ready to go. Large shape in the darkness rushed in towards them. Vincentius released a spell, and the flare, and the flare revealed the invading ogres. So we got some ogres that just showed up. Ogres are big. There were at least six of them. Huge stinking beasts, arms with clubs or largely crude made swords. It was clear their intentions were anything but friendly. With Deacon and Vincentius, uh, they, they, the whole group moved back to back. So Deacon called out, Vincentius popped up and did a spell. He's new to the group. He's still kind of a wild card. He does his thing the best he can around them. <clears throat> Deacon unleashed a spell of his own. Vincent, Vincentius is now up. And as a group, they kind of get back to back. It's a small group, right? Against a whole bunch of big ogres. Uh, so you get back to back, keeping the danger without. Seraph could already hear Vincentius casting another spell as the first ogre swing, uh, swung its uh, huge sword at Seraph's head. Seraph successfully parried the, the blow, though the impact made shockwaves of pain run up and through his arm. The beasts were incredibly strong and frustratingly rugged. Seraph knew immediately they couldn't fight them like this, especially Dina. 
He had to keep their focus on himself. Back to what I was talking about. Dina with her sword and thing. Not really set to fight an ogre. Surely, definitely couldn't solo one. Uh, the best thing uh, that a lot of people don't think about in fights like this, right? I throw this at you in case you ever play D&D. &D. Uh, and use this, you know, mention it to your DM, use it in your own benefits. Ogres are big. They take up a lot of space, right? So if you've got two humans right next to each other, that's about as wide or less wide than one ogre. So it's not like you can have an ogre and a person lining up one for one in a line fighting. Just not possible. So the ogres either have to surround them, or if you, the heroes, have your back against something, several of the ogres are stuck behind, not able to fight, because only two or three can get close enough to the group to do so. Um, if they do completely surround them, though, and that gives the opportunity for more ogres to get attacks in at a time, it will not take long for them to whittle down the group, especially since Vincentius, a mage specifically, is kind of hiding in the middle of the circle at this point, because he doesn't have anything really in the way of melee, and Dina has limited abilities to deal with an ogre. So immediately Seraph is like, this is not going to work. These are ogres. I can see six of them. Even though now that the flares died down, his improvision's kicking in a bit better. There's a very small fire, but it's mostly dark. So he's like, okay, I can see there are six silhouettes. They're moving in. They're probably not in a solid line, right? The first couple are coming in, a couple more behind them. They're charging in. Luckily, Deacon, who was on uh, uh, guard duty, saw them coming, was able to call out before they were literally on top of them. <clears throat> Close the ring, Seraph cried, a phrase his friends knew well. In an instant, Seraph surged forward into the enemy, his friends tightening their circle of defense behind him. So he yells out, close the ring, and then rushes forward. He's like, I'm leaving our circle. They know that. Seraph is going out, because sometimes that's the best way Seraph can help them, is to literally get out there and use his natural abilities to do what he does. So close circle means, okay, he's something, we can't just leave a space there, we got to get in a little bit tighter. And they definitely do that. <clears throat> As Seraph blew past the first ogre, his sword cut deeply into the beast's thigh. At the same moment, Seraph felt the heat from the blast of fire from Vincentia's spell as it struck the same monster in the face. The ogre cried out in pain and fear, stumbling backwards into the ogre that was rushing in behind it. Seraph, though, was already gone, moving as fast as he could between the ogres, stabbing and moving, harassing them, and pulling their attention. Deacon released a spell of his own. A fountain of flare came, uh, flames came from his hands, and with a loud crack, the bullet from Mugen's pistol struck an ogre directly in the eye, which exploded in a blast of blood and goo. With a scream, it fell backwards, lifeless. <clears throat> that all happened very, very quickly. Right? Vincentius hits this ogre in the face. Seraph cuts him real bad along the side. He falls back on fire, because, you know, people are flammable, and stumbles into the one behind him, slowing it down. <clears throat> Another one that's there, Deacon throws his own bout of flame into it, the thing holds its hand up, and Mugen manages to snag it right in the eye. Again, I've stressed Mugen is a very good shot with the pistol, 
and right through the eye goes right into the brain. I don't care how big you are. A pellet or metal ball bouncing around inside your thick ogre skull is going to do enough damage to take you down very quickly. <clears throat> it's called a cold shot in D&D, at least in the second edition. Uh, it's more challenging to hit, but it's possible to do more damage if you succeed. The downside with the pistol is it is not fast to reload. So we can't just sit there and start shooting them one and one at a time. This is the equivalent of a handheld pistol musket, if you will. The old, old kind of revolutionary style, right? So he gets his one shot in, and unless there's a lull, he doesn't get to reload it. He gets one bullet in the fight. Where was I? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so immediately, that's two ogres down, right? Two of the six are already down. One of them slightly already injured uh, by Vincentius's original spell. And that one, of course, rushes in. Uh, Deacon um, and Vincentius, that group is basically having to deal with the one ogre that's still coming rushing in uh, unbloodied. The remaining ogres were slowly focused on Seraph. As fast as he was, the ogres had managed to surround him, though, where now he was in a fight for his life against their barrage of attacks. So he's fast, but he did what he wanted to do. He's tanking this fight, if we're using video game terms here. He's getting their attention and making sure they know he's the dangerous one. So now three ogres have basically formed a little triangle, and he's stuck in the middle of it. As I mentioned earlier, in that regard, all of them can swing towards the middle without having to worry about hitting each other. And Seraph is trying to defend himself against all three. With this speed, he's able to do it, but he's definitely not going to be able to get a whole lot of other combat attacks in He's being pushed purely on the defensive at this point. Uh, Vincentius, okay. So Vincentius released a wave of magic missiles at the ogre that stood before them. It blasted into the ogre's chest. The smell of burnt flesh and, and, and the release of magic energy wafted in the air. That ogre stumbles backwards and falls to the ground. Deacon and Mugen rushed in to help their friend, Seraph. Dina stood with Vincentius, reloading Mugen's pistol as he'd taught her. Because he was teaching her that, how to use the gun. So he did his shot and basically hands the gun to her. He's like, okay, I'm going in now. Reload this, and if you can, get a shot or two off. You're back here where it's a little bit safer, but you're still able to contribute and help in the fight. As they came rushing in, Mugen swung his hammer hard and struck an ogre in the back of the knee with a large crunch. Thrown off balance, it fell to its knees, putting its neck directly at the level of Deacon's sword. The blade cut deeply, and the ogre's blood flowed quickly across his hands and arms. He ripped the sword free from the wound, and the beast fell to its belly, gurgling in its own blood as its life drained from it. This, as you can imagine, because that was one of the three, caught the attention of the remaining two ogres for just a moment. But a moment is all that Seraph ever needs. Seraph surged them with a flurry of blows, moving back and forth, cutting and tearing into flesh. The first ogre hit the ground, leaving only one left. That was taking attacks on all sides. Imagine now he's got Deegan, Mugen, and Seraph all wailing on this last one. Neither Seraph, Deegan, or Mugen relented, and the final ogre was overrun, its lifeless body finally falling as well. With the threat over, they quickly returned to their friends. You can imagine that. Okay, the ogres are down. Are there any others? They survey the area. Six dead ogres have hit the ground. That went through very quickly. If you play D&D, sometimes a fight does. It went through very quickly. And they're relieved to find that the only real injuries are seraphs. And while they would be normally considered, some of them, 
bad with Seraph's natural regeneration, it, they're not as bad as they would for someone else. Uh, both Dean and Vincentius managed to make it through unscathed. Mugen and Deacon took a couple hits in the barrage, but overall, uh, m- very minor damage considering this group very quickly took out a group of six ogres, which is not an easy feat to do. This is to give you a, this is a good example of that these guys are gaining abilities and strength. They are leveling up, if you will, right? The things that they're capable of taking on in a single batter, battle, <laughs> wrong word, battle, is increasing. As they are getting stronger, so are they capable of taking out larger enemies and stronger villains uh, in a quicker period of time. But of course, if you've ever played Dungeons & Dragons, that just opens the door for even scarier things to be thrown at you. Not saying I would do something like that. <gasps> Heaven to Betsy's no. I'm just saying as an example, these things can happen. So they're checking each other, making sure everybody's okay. Deacon's all, or Deacon's all right. Mugen's all right. Seraph's mostly all right. He uh, pulls a quick schwig from his special flask, which he knows will help in aiding his healing uh, a little bit of a kickstart. Um, he tries to do so in a way that Vincentius doesn't see it, although he does, but pays it no mind. Right? Acting as if he doesn't see it, but he does. Although it's probably not a surprise for Vincentius. If they've been, if, if he knows uh, all the stuff he does about Seraph, the flask would be only one of the things he probably already knew well about. Deacon makes a comment, since seems the mountain's threats found them before they even step foot in them. <clears throat> Vincentius says he's concerned. It's not common for the denizens of the mountains to leave the safety of the rock to come down open into the open land like this. Sure, they might have seen our small fire we had and, and thought we were easy pickings, but still, it doesn't explain much why the ogres were so close to the border. They're not near any of the farms. They didn't see a whole lot in this area that the ogres would be interested in pillaging. So he says he's concerned, of course, why why this situation came to be at all. They're sitting there discussing it. What should we do now? It's super early in the morning, like 3 o'clock. We got a little bit of a rest, but not a whole lot. And then that happened. And they were throwing some spells around, right? Magic spells. Magic spells are not quiet, nor are they easy to hide. Flames and magic missiles and such. So now they have to say, well, what is our plans? What do we need to do? Now, the way that they're standing right now, the group is kind of in a bit of a circle, right? Standing there talking to each other. And Vincentius, his back is more to the mountains, but more looking kind of talking to these uh, allies and beyond. Seraph sees Vincentius' eyes open quickly. And as Vincentius shouts and throws himself towards Seraph. Not sure what's going on, Seraph reaches to catch him, but Vincentius shoves him hard, knocking him backwards. At that same moment, something metallic flashes in the air and strikes Vincentius, knocking him to the ground. Seraph regains his balance and looks down and sees Vincentius. It had got him in the shoulder, nothing terminal, but very quickly, Seraph recognizes one of the special throwing weapons used by Oromanian elites. Looking back in the direction from where the weapon came, he sees the silhouette of two men, Oromanian elites, not far away. 
with a snarl serif charges at them. More throwing weapons are thrown. He knocks a couple aside with his sword while dodging the others, and almost instantaneously finds himself standing face to face with them. As expected, it only takes him a moment to cut the two men down. With them on the ground, he looks out further, because remember, mountains beyond now, looking out into the plains that they've crossed, it's been mostly open grasslands. Looking back over the plains, Seraph notices movements. Out here, his infravision's in full blast at this point. He's not near any source of actual light. And he can see across a distance away something that fills him with dread. At least 20 to 30 more Oromanian elites are rushing towards them from across the plain. Seraph calculates that it'll only take them a couple of minutes to get there. So they just cut down these ogres, used up some of their spells. Hmm? Seraph, nobody's serious hurt. Seraph's taken a little bit of, of a beating. And now Vincentius just got s- stabbed. Not the situation you want to walk into a small army of Ormanian's elite fighters. Right? But that's what's charging at them right now. Seraph quickly returns to the other. Deacon had already helped uh, Vincentius to stand. They pulled the blade free. Fortunately, it didn't go in too deep, uh, and it didn't cause any serious, serious damage, but he definitely has an injury there. Deacon looks at Seraph once he says, hey, there's a whole bunch more coming, a whole bunch of elites coming, because none of you, Deacon can't see that, doesn't have any vision. Seraph says, hey, there's a whole bunch more coming. We need to get out of here. Deacon nods. He's like, do we run? Like, do we across the plains, or do we try to go up into the mountains? Right? Which direction do, is the best way to get out of here? Seraph says, I, I, we're going to have to run. There's too many for us to fight at this point. There's no way we're all going to, we're going to be able to take them out. You know, in the alley, they are fighting them before, very close quarters. They had back-to-back. They couldn't get around them. This is an open plain. Twenty of them with throwing weapons and everything else, even though they're going to be very careful not to hurt Dina, they're not going to have any stipulations with killing any of the other ones. Um, and they don't have Vincentius coming as a surprise defender in this situation. So Vincentius is like, or so, so Seraph is like, my instinct is to stay and fight them. I, I, following, having them follow us in the mountain isn't going to do any well either, but I don't think that we can take a group that size. Vincentius throws the blade to the ground, the one he's holding in his hand, and he looks angry. He says, then we must do both. Seraph asks, what does he mean? He goes, he turns to Seraph and he says, you must take your friends into the mountains. Climbing will be hard, especially with it being as dark as it is, but it'll also be hard for them to follow. None of them have improvision. You must take your friends and lead them into the mountains now. Get as much distance as you possibly can. He said, it's the best chance you have of losing the pursuit. Vincentius looks at them and says, I will stay. And I will buy you all the time, I'll buy you as much time as I possibly can to escape. Seraph is like, there's no way. There's no way we're going to abandon you. We're not just going to leave you here to deal with that. If we can't take them, what are you going to do? There's no way, our new friend, we're going to just leave you here to deal with this while we escape and leave you to your fate. Vincentius kind of grabs Seraph roughly by the arm and pulls him closer. Gets right in his face. 
You know as well as I do that they hunt Dina. And they will do whatever they can to get her. You know you cannot let that happen. Keeping her safe has to be your priority. You need to take her and your friends and get out of here while you can. Dina steps in and pleads him not to stay. You can't face them alone. Vincentius turns again, a real look of anger on his face. I don't intend to be. Vincentius begins immediately chanting and he holds out his hands. And his words start coming out. The words of magic. A magic unlike anything that Deacon has ever heard before. His body begins to glow, Vincentius with almost like a greenish, slimy kind of aura that's wafts around him like smoke. It begins to go brighter from around him. The words themselves have a sickening effect on his friends. Even, except for Mugen, of course. But for <laughs> Mugen's like, I don't understand what's going on. But for everybody else... Literally, nausea begins to hit them. A sick smell is in the air. And they feel themselves trying to fight the urge to throw up. Bile is building up in their throats. And then they hear movement. With a surprise, Seraph quickly turns with his weapons drawn, followed by his friends, and stands there shocked as he sees the bodies of the dead six ogres begin to climb to their feet. As they stand up, they grab their weapons, if there's one nearby. And as, as one, begin moving forward towards them. With the last word of the spell, Vincentius coughs, and they can see some type of green slime ichor coming out of the sides of his mouth. I had no time to pre prepare the bodies. I will have to control them directly. He looks at Seraph and goes, Now go. Take them out of here now. Or else everything else you've done, everything I've done, will be for nothing. Seraph, of course, is torn. He's, he's right. He's, he's got to get Dina out of there. And even with these six ogres, of course these six ogres can't feel pain, per se, but six ogres and Vincentius... Is that really enough to survive? Probably not. Is it enough to maybe buy them time to get up into the mountains? Maybe put some distance between them? Maybe. But he doesn't have a lot of other choice. Seraph has to make a decision at this point, and he does. He puts his hand on Vincentius's arm and says, I will not forget this, my friend. Dina, Dina comes in, a little tear on her cheek, and gives Vincentius a kiss on the cheek, you know, and wishes him as well. Vincentius nods, and then turns, and raises his hands, and as one, the ogres begin to line up in front of him, and marching towards the Oromanians, who even now can be heard approaching. With a pang of sadness and regret, Seraph has no choice but to take Dina's hand, and begin leading his friends up and into the mountain pass. As Seraph and his friends moved quickly up the steep, narrow, and winding pass into the mountains, he could see down below the lights and explosions of Vincentius's spells. The mountains were jagged and sharp, 
and it was not long before the battle could no longer be seen. Suddenly they heard a loud crack and rumbling from above them. They ran f as fast as they could further up the pass in fear as a large piece of rock of the mountain itself fell from above them, causing a small rock slide. They barely made it past as the large boulder and rubble came crashing onto the trail behind them, blocking any way back. Our spells must have weakened the rock, surmised Deacon. It would take forever to climb back over all that. As you can imagine, this huge rock comes tumbling down in this narrow pass, buries it in stone and stuff. It's not going to be, it's going to be loose, it's not going to be easy to climb. Maybe for Seraph, but not for anyone else. It would take us forever to climb over all that. Seraph shook his head sadly. Then we can only move forward and fight our way through these damn mountains. We owe it to our friend to make sure his sacrifice was not in vain. With a deep sadness, they continued up the trail. There were still countless dangers ahead of them, but their friend, a man who barely knew them, had saved them from the dangers behind them, at least for the time being. They could only pray that somehow he would be okay. So at this point, there's no way back. Even if they change their mind, or Vincentius found a way to try to catch up with them, there's no way he'd be able to get over this big rock slide that has now buried the past behind them. Deacon's probably correct. It's possible. The magical energy is being released. The spells they cast. There was rock up there that was already loose. It might have been enough to cause some type of avalanche. Or, well, I guess it was because of a rock slide. Avalanche is more snow, I think. But... Um, Definitely, it has blocked them from being able to go back. At the same time, it also means that it's going to be much, much harder for any Armenians to follow them this way. By the time they climb up and over that, Seraph and his friends will be long gone. And I'd like to say that's where we end for the day. With them now having to go through the mountains themselves. I have one last thing to read. Captain Ramulus, leader of the Drow Squadron, made his way to the mage, along with several of his men. My lord, said the captain, they are well into the mountains now, and the remaining Ormanians are all dead. Well done, replied Vincentius. You arrived just in time. Yes, my lord, said the captain. Once we received word the barricade had dropped, we came in to assist immediately. The Drow force had made short work of the Ormanians. Vincentius had only needed to hold them off a short while until his allies arrived. Were the ogres any trouble? asked Vincentius. No, sire, said the captain. It took very little gold and the promise of more to make them attack your group. As greedy as ogres always are. Hello, Tyler. And the Oromanians? asked Vincentius. The captain nodded to the young woman beside him the pale, soft skin and face of the beautiful Salia, the human barmaid, faded from the woman, revealing the form of a drow female. Once the Prince Firemoon was well enough away from Bannerhelm, I told the Oromanians I'd seen him. I gave them just enough information to get them moving in the right direction, said Salia. You have all done exceptionally well, said Vincentius. Things went exactly as I'd planned them. Even now they mourn the loss of their friend, when next we meet, 
it will be even easier to manipulate them. The drow round him nodded, pleased to see Vincentius happy with their work. It was well known that his displeasure could be quite terminal. Gather our forces, continued Vincentius. Prepare to go south. We must make our way to the ship quickly. There's still much to do before we begin the next phase of my plan. The drow around him saluted and headed off to complete their orders. Vincentius took a moment to look up at the mountains behind him. Run, Seraph, he whispered to himself. Run and hide. You are one step closer to, to determining our fates. The game is played by many, but I intend to win. Then I will have my vengeance on all of you. A debt you will pay with your lives. Vincentius snapped his fingers, and the bodies of the dead ogres nearby crumpled to the ground, lifeless once more. With a smile, he turned and walked over to join his men. So a slightly shorter episode. But it gets us to exactly where we needed to be. Seraph, Deacon, Dina, and Mugen are now in the mountains. Hopefully, going to find their way through it and to possible safety from Oramon on the other side. Vincentius, alive and well, plans to continue south towards a ship of some kind and onto the next phase of both he and Elder He's overall plan. And that is where we're going to leave these characters for a short while while we race across the map back to Artis and her friends in the next episode, where we'll see what they've been doing all this time that's gone by. There's been months of travel with Seraph with getting to the city, then going up into the swamp, dealing with all of that, coming back down, now all of this. It's been, it took, I think it was six months just to get to this area, so a long period of time to get here. Whatever could their friends have been doing during this time? Well, that's where we're going to start out in the next episode, two weeks from today, uh, which is a Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, because that's when I stream this, every other Tuesday. <laughs> so uh, a slightly shorter one today, which I expected. I kind of warned people ahead of time, uh, tying up the loose ends. I hope you have enjoyed this arc of this story. Um, we're definitely, of course, obviously not done with Seraph and his friends or Vincentius. Uh, but we're going to let them go off and do some of their own things for a little while while we look and see what's going on in the rest of Merged Worlds, maybe in a couple different locations. So I'm hoping you're uh, interested enough that you'll come back by and hear a little bit more of my story moving forward. Uh, again, if you enjoyed watching this here on YouTube, remember to click that like button and be sure to subscribe. It really helps out the channel. And if you have an iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other podcast sources, please consider going and giving Merge Worlds a follow over there. Uh, give it the five stars, the thumbs up, the likes, the kisses, the hugs, whatever it is on your platform. I don't know. And maybe even consider leaving a review. Uh, that way uh, it does help the uh, podcast get into the ears of more people because I like to share the story with as many as I can. But thank you all so very much for coming and joining me. I would love to hear your thoughts 
on this section of the story, uh, please feel free to leave those down here in the comments uh, section of the YouTube stream. Or if you're on audio, please come by my Discord. You can find links to my Discord and all my socials on my website, onlydraven.com. Uh, we've got a Merge Worlds thread in there. Come on in. Let me know your thoughts in the story, things you like, things you don't like, things you'd like to see, your uh, assumptions of what may be coming in the future. I would love to hear your thoughts on the story. But as always, we're going to go ahead and end it for this time and hope that we see you again so that way I can share with you a little bit more adventure in the worlds of Merch Worlds. All right? You folks have yourselves a wonderful day.